At Category 5 TV, we trust our files to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Whether for your server, laptop, or desktop computer, you'll experience improved performance and reliability. Kingston is with you. Get ready, it's time for the tech. Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, everybody. Henry Bailey Ooh, Brown it's good in to be the back. house. It's good to be back, everyone. Thank you so back. much for having me. He says it's good to be back. This is your first time here. What you talking about? I was, I was here before. Stu what? What is this madness? Oh, yeah, it's my first Can time here. Can you believe here. this is your first time in Studio E? Welcome. You know what? Yeah, I know. You guys You guys had to beam me up from Earth, but when I was like from the teleporter room, I was able to walk on over here. It's all futuristic. The you technology know? here is over the top. I know. I was I was able to walk by the jacuzzi, and then like we were walking by the <laughs> other rooms, and it was uh, it, it's great. I, I love it. It's Henry approved. Oh, fantastic. So, fantastic. You know, it's good. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. How you it's been? Be I mean, through this whole madness, we haven't gotten to have you join us on the show yet. Yeah, it's, so. it's been unfortunate. I've missed everyone here. Um, it feels really good to be back. Um, but yeah, like, um, my industry aviation is kind of weird right now. Yeah, he's a pilot. But so. I, my arms are tired, but I get arrested. What do you do when they ground all the planes? Right? I, I get to fly drones. I, I still have my drone company. So that's doing well. But at the same time, it feels good to be actually seeing real people again and not just my drones. I can actually talk Aww. to He considers real me a people. real person. This, this is, is so nice. This is great. It's great to see all of you wonderful faces. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's great to be back. I've, I've missed you all. And it's nice good to, to see, see this man. amazing place. So you've been flying your drone. Yes. I what have. are you doing in 2020 that's a little bit fresh, a little bit new? Oh, well, Robbie, let, let me tell you about the future here. Oh, the future. I'm not just taking photos anymore. Oh. I'm not even take, taking videos. Not even just, videos? Just, just videos anymore. Yeah, no, there's. The future is now, Robbie. Wow. Let me tell you something. Wow. The, you guys heard the, it here. The future is photogrammetry. Photogrammable. And I'm, I'm not taking photos of graphs. That's, that's not what it's You're about. You're taking photos of your grandma? I am taking photos and turning, turning those photos into something called a 3D object, a 3D file, a 3D environment made from just photos. Oh, Henry, I wish there was the some way. I wish there was some way you could show us this. I know. I wish there was some way I recorded a feature <laughs> and sent it to you. And brought it through. with me yeah. with him on an SD card. So it's here Excellent. tonight, and we're going to be checking it out. Now, this is yes. a really cool tech. It is absolutely fantastic. And the really amazing part about this is how available and accessible it is to everyone. Yeah. And that's what I really love about Cat5 is that we're showing a lot of open source stuff. We're showing a lot of really accessible things for viewers. Well, all the programs that I use in this feature, the free trials are out there. So if you want, you have a drone, you're safe to fly, you can do it at home, Sweet. which I absolutely love, even the 3D printing aspect, but we'll get there when we get there. But mm -hmm. know that you too can make your house a 3D model and print that 3D that model. That is cool. Uh, so we're going to actually be checking that out in a couple of moments. Uh, before we get into the feature, though, folks, mm -hmm. I want to remind you, hey, if you love the kind of content that we produce here at Category 5 TV, please make sure you click that subscribe, give us a thumbs up, and click the bell. That's going to make sure that you get the notifications every time we post new shiny videos to our YouTube channel. And if you haven't found us on YouTube yet, hey, head on over to linuxtechshow.com, and that's going to actually reroute you to our YouTube channel. 
And that's a great way to find us. So, hey, thanks to everybody who has been subscribing. We, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, hey, we can hit 25,000 subs. We can do it. And now we're like 27.5 thousand. It just like smashed it. Yeah. So keep it coming, folks. Keep it coming. One of these days, I'm so far off from a plaque, Henry. I'm so far off. That's what they all say. And then you're going to wake up one day. Suddenly, it's going to be here. This is the feature. This is the one, Henry. Come on. Get us 250,000 subscribers tonight. We're going to have it right here. It's going to be nicely (laughs) centered. And we'll just remember tonight. This is where it began. This is is it, folks. This is it. So, hey, make sure you click that subscribe. That's very, very important. All right, Henry, let's jump onto that SD card and see what it is you got for us. Let's do it. Today we're going to talk about a really new exciting segment on photogrammetry. What is photogrammetry? Glad you asked. Basically, we can take our drones now and we can produce 3D images so we can make 3D models of real world objects. So whether that's a building, a field, your house, your business, whatever, you can take your drone, take photos of your property and make that into a 3D image or in this case, 3D model. With that being said, we're going to take it one step further and we're going to take that 3D model and 3D print it so then you have your house in the palm of your hand. What use is this? I'm glad you asked. An example of what this can be used for is if you're a real estate agent and you're trying to sell a house but somebody has a hard time seeing, they could be blind, etc. What you can do is that you can 3D scan the property, 3D print that property, and then they can actually feel the house with their very own hands. How cool is that? Now stay tuned for this exciting segment as we go over how to 3D print as well as 3D capture using photogrammetry. Let's take a look. drone safely back on the ground what we can do is head back to the studio upload these images to the cloud to the software that will then stitch it all together into our 3d model so that's pretty cool let's go take a look at that let's go all right now we're back in the studio here um i know this is a different building than we used before but this one's a really nice example so we're going to use this uh provided example here. So let's pretend we we finished flying, we did our little grid pattern or whatever we flew. Now we upload our photos to your provider. In this case, it's drone deploy, but it could be Pix4D or DJI. Um, and then after it processes, you get something cool looking like this. So again, we have our ortho mosaic. So it's like a giant 2D map. So kind of Imagine this as a more high definition Google Maps real satellite image, right? So this image here that you can see on this overlaid map, this is made of hundreds of images stitched together to make 
make it look like it's a satellite image, which is really, really cool. It's a, it's a really cool program. But of course, with this, since there's GPS data within the files, so again, we have our geolocation data, we can do cool things such as measure distances. We can do different spot heights. We can do different locations. You can pin things. But this isn't just everything I'm going to show you right now. No. What we really want is this, and that is the 3D model of the environment. All right, this is what we're looking for. This is the cool looking 3D map, the 3D model that we have been able to create using our images that we've uploaded to our program. So pretty much, again, we take our photos, the program stitches everything together, and it's able to create this cool 3D file, this 3D model. Photogrammetry really is the future. And again, it's not perfect. Like again, going closer into things, we do have like a few little weird nubs and a few little uh, errors. But again, you can correct those in Blender or if you pretty much the more advanced drone you have, also known as the better camera, if you have Blur or LiDAR or anything, that makes a much better high resolution image, a more accurate image. But again, today we're just using uh, standard off the uh, off the shelf drones. So, hey, that that that's still a pretty nice. Those are some really sharp looking lines. So now what we can do is that we can actually download this map depending on what program you're using. And we can export this as an OBJ file or another readable 3D file format, and we can actually import this into a 3D printer. So let's take a look at some images that Robbie gave us of him converting one of my files I did into a 3D model. All right, so before we turn into a 3D model, I just wanted to show what model I gave Robbie. So this is a house we shot a few years ago. You can take a look at this on sketchfab.com under air support aerial photography. That's my company. Um, but as you can see, it's a really nice looking home. You know, uh, the resolution is actually not that bad. This was shot with a Phantom 3 Professional. Um, again, there are a few errors like this section right here. So this is, there was a tree right here. So we weren't able to get proper photos. That's why the program kind of freaked out in this corner here. But everything else is pretty, uh, it, it did a really nice job. And again, the uh, algorithms have become a lot more accurate uh, these past few years. So chances are, if we did this again, it would be a lot more accurate, even if we still use the Phantom 3 camera. And of course, you can add other details in like right here, just in Blender or other programs. So let's see how Robbie's program takes this uh, .obj file and turns it into a 3D printer readable file. Let's take a look. Thanks, Henry. We're going to dig into the software that's used to convert Henry's aerial photogrammetry into a 3D printable object, and we're going to send it to our 3D printer right after this. The software that Henry is referring to is called Ultimaker Cura. 
It's a free program. It's available for Windows, Mac, and Linux. And uh, you can follow the links at cat5.tv slash 3dprinting in order to grab that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open the file that Henry was showing us there. Now, keep in mind, Henry was looking at a textured file. So it had like the, the brick overlay and everything, all the coloring and all that stuff. What we're about to see is just the OBJ. So the object, just the actual 3D printing file. And bring that into Cura, and let's see what we find. Now we got this little itty bitty, like, what is this? A house for ants? All right, so it's put it up on its end. You can see how that is. So what I want to do is I want to rotate that. So I'm just going to click on it, click on the rotate tool, and bring it down 90 degrees. There we are. That's going to put it flat on the surface, but it's still this itty bitty house for ants. So let's increase the size of that as well. And boop. There we are. So that's awfully big, like 200 millimeters. Let's bring it down just a little bit. Okay, so the first thing that I notice here is that we've got a lot of ground. See the earth around the, uh, around the building? We've got some boulders here, some shrubs, and this guy here looks kind of messy. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to lower the position of the house a little bit so that we can push that ground into the build plate on my printer. I don't want to go too far because we don't want to like submerge the house. We just want to pull back some of that, that landscaping there so that we're not actually 3D printing the dirt. And that looks pretty good. We've still got some anomalies like over here. You can see this little uh, triangle here, which is probably a, a rock or some kind of something on the uh, on the landscaping we're going to have these little see this little guy right here that's just going to print but it's you know not going to be it's something that we keep it's just going to be a, a discard you could clean this up like if henry wanted to he'd be able to take this into uh, like tinkercad or whatever cad program he's using clean it up first fix up the texturing of the windows because these are going to come out you know looking uh, pretty pretty odd um, and there's that area where i think that's is that where the, no, yeah, that's where the tree, where Henry was showing us the tree is. Um, and it looks like a cave. So that's going to be rather interesting. Um, but how cool that this is done. I mean, the actual, like, design, you can tell it's, you know, what it is. That this is done with a, with a quadcopter, taking a whole bunch of pictures. And generally speaking, that looks pretty cool. So, um, other than that couple of quick mentions is, you know, typically when you're 3D printing, you're going to need supports if anything overhangs because otherwise it's just going to droop and, and you're going to get this stringing coming down. So I'm looking for anything here that's going to overhang and I don't really see much. There is this overhang here and Kira is showing me some red to, to tell me that this might be a problem, but I think because it's such a small uh, overhang, I think we're probably going to be okay to do it without supports. Um, we don't need supports. You might think, well, we need to support the roof because, you know, the roof is like this. And if it's a hollow thing, then it's, uh, it's going to, you know, completely cave in. But the way Kira looks at this when it's slicing it is it treats this as a solid object. So rather than supports for the interior of the object, that's actually called infill. So there's a couple of things that we're going to set here. So if we did need supports, we're going to click on generate supports. I don't think we're going to if I preview that. Um, so I've just clicked on generate supports and then slice and I'm previewing. I just want to see where it's going to stick supports just to see how badly Cura thinks that we need it. Yeah, see the whole outside has now been 
basically covered in supports. So that would be a lot of stuff to trim away. Wow. Um, I think we're going to have a real problem with this area where the tree was. See how it's completely filled in that, uh, that area? That could be a problem. Um, I think because of the jaggedness of it, this particular object is not going to print well with supports. I mean, you're going to... Uh, how would you ever remove so many supports? And I think that's because of the fact that, uh, being that it's a 3D scan using just a standard camera, the edges are not quite perfect as you've, as you've seen there. Um, so that's something that Henry might, might want to clean up before trying to 3D print. Let's turn off the supports and I've got an infill density of 20% and we were looking at about 14 hours to print with supports. My fear is just that that's a lot of supports to remove. Um, it might be very difficult. Now it's not, but it might be worth it. Uh, it's a hard thing to call. Uh, this is what it looks like without supports, but what I'm looking for is the infill density to make sure that the, the roof is going to be supported. So I'm going to pull down my preview here so that I can see inside what's being printed. So you can see that with a 20% infill density, that is placing these kind of their supports to hold up that roof as it prints, but without using, you know, 100% infill and wasting a whole lot of filament. That's going to take about 10 hours and 67 grams of filament. So if you're wondering, oh, well, how much is that going to cost to print at that scale? Just go into your calculator. And I know that I paid $40 for the one kilogram uh, of filament. So it's four cents per gram. And we know that this is going to be 67 grams. So that's $2 and 68 cents to print at this scale. And that's pretty big considering my under three uh, bed is 220 by 220 millimeters. So what you're looking at there is, uh, you know, it is, let's see, 143 millimeters by 112 millimeters. So it's pretty big. So do we print it with or without supports? That's the question. I think we're going to get a better print if we give it supports, especially in that kind of janky area where the, where the uh, tree was. And I think that's going to make it worth it. I know it is. It's just the additional four hours and the amount of work to remove all those supports. It needs a lot of them. Let's see what happens if I change to just build plate see if that changes anything and change the overhang angle to, um, I don't know, 60 and see how that changes things. So it's not going to give me as much support in here. So that's going to save a fair bit of filament and three hours. Um, yeah, that looks a little better. So there are, there's still going to be a lot of support to remove. And I feel like with the way this is, um, with the way the scan is that you're probably going to have some trouble figuring out what's a support and what's actually part of the scan. So I think that's what we're going to be up against. So for that reason, and for the sake of the, um, the demonstration, I'm going to try scaling it down a bit so that the overhangs are not as big as they would be if it was 143 millimeters wide. So I'm going to make this about uh, 50 millimeters width and see how that slices up with no supports. So it's going to be a lot smaller, 
but it's going to probably do a lot better without supports because we don't have such a pronounced overhang. And let's give that a go. I'm going to send that over to my printer and we'll see how she comes out. There it is. This is my That's tiny it. house. Oh, it's so cute. I have always wanted to live in a tiny house. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a tiny house kind of guy. And this just proves it right here. I okay. Mean, in all seriousness, though, Henry, the, the reason that I printed it so small, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, was I wanted to see if it would print without supports, and it did, and it, it did. printed quite nicely, and it, it looks did. pretty good, but it's very, very tiny. It is. So I did decide to take it to the next level for you and throw something on the printer, and I sent another file, and here you go. What? What do you think okay, of that? Okay, that's so pretty cool. So check that out, folks, yeah. <laughs> And I'll hand it to you. I just want to kind of show the V camera here just so that you can kind of see. I know that is pretty remarkable. I printed it in white filament for you because I thought, hey, maybe you'd want to prime it and paint it. Um, but then I realized as I do. was running it that the cameras kind of don't like white filament because they white this balance themselves and overexpose themselves. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing to me here? Yeah, this yeah, is that's crazy. Tough. That's tough. Our poor camera guy is just like, ah, oh, I know, can't but get it. Seriously, like that amount of detail that you managed to get out of that 3D model, that's pretty amazing, eh? Well, you took your drone up and just kind of, it, it software well, took it around and flew overhead. And... Yeah, so like literally from the feature, what you're able to see is that literally we just did our kind of grid patterns. We were able to take those photos, yeah. mash them all together in a blender, and out comes this. Now, how hard was it? Now, when you sent me this, it was an OBJ file. So yeah. it was already a 3D ready, yeah, like pretty much ready to print as you saw. Yeah, there. pretty how, much. How hard was that to put oh, together? Oh, no, not, not at all. From photos. The, yeah, literally because the program that you're able to see through the feature yeah. Even if you use another one, I use Drone Deploy. Okay. I've also used Pix4D. There's so many awesome programs out there. But literally, you just download as and save it as OBJ. I believe there's a few other file oh, types no. you can do, but OBJ is the more widely recognized. It's pretty universal, yeah. Yeah, you right. can even open it up in Blender, things like that. Right. So it's it's great. So um, I'm not... So ho hold up. Yeah. If you can open it in Blender, that means you could take this house that you scanned yeah. and put it in a, a 3D movie that you create. You, you, can, could, you can even you put, put it in Unreal yourself. Engine. You could put yourself in it. You could, so you could, put a, you could put it in a game. Yeah. So I've actually had this exact oh, same oh. model in Unreal 4 running. So like I could have like little fires around it, not yeah. that I'm planning on anything. Or you could have like a skybox. So there's so many applications for so this, though. So cool. I mean, like, again, besides the 3D environment, so like video, photo, film, things like that. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this before to you that if I'm a real estate agent and I'm trying to sell a house to someone, right? And maybe they're blind. How do you sell a house to someone blind and describe the exterior? Yeah, you well, mentioned that, that it's like, okay, well, you now, can actually feel, exactly. feel the house. Now you can cool. literally 3D print your house or the house or whatever and you can feel what it looks like, feel the And is the that property. legit? Like, do people, like, maybe if some of our, our folks that have uh, vision problems, would that be of benefit to you? Would that be a selling feature for even just education, things like that, yeah. right? Like oh, being certainly. able to do, like, historic monuments yeah. or things like that? I think, see, from my perspective, Henry, yeah. this does a couple of things mm -hmm. um, in that it captures buildings or whatever it might be, maybe landscapes or whatever, mm -hmm. in such a way that it will last forever. As it you does. say, you can throw it in an Unreal Engine with the textures. And exactly. Now it will, ne even if the building disintegrates, it's 
it's forever there. captured. Well, that's the thing is that there's a there's a lot of famous stories about people going in the Middle East, and as you know, there's a lot of conflicts over there. Mm-hmm. But before a lot of these oh. buildings and stuff were destroyed, yeah, um, people actually went in with uh, photogrammetry kits, and wow. they were actually able to capture all these older monuments, all these older. Uh, beautiful places oh, before so they wonderful. are destroyed. So yeah, so good. they're 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 going to live on forever now in 3D format, yeah. where future generations can go and say, yeah, this is like at, what this place le- is at the like. very least they can see it in like virtual reality. Yeah, exactly. Kind of and it's yeah. literally, I'm really excited. This is just the start of this yeah. technology. It's it's fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Henry. That's Thanks. really really cool stuff. Thank you for printing it. It's it looks a lot more realistic in real life. Than it does on a computer. And when you brought it up with no. the te- when you brought it up in the te- with the textures and everything, it yeah. was it was very very real looking. That that was really fun, and that was with an older version of that program. That yeah. that the model that we used for this was around three or four years old. Okay. So the methods that the programs use now, their algorithms are actually so much more accurate. And I'm using wow. an older drone, right? So yeah, Phantom yeah. Three Pro. My friend uses a Maverick. They have a Matrice as well. So like a ten thousand dollar drone. Wow. Imagine how that looks, having like a full DSLR camera. Unreal. Uh, is this the same tech, like when I see on Google Earth? Yeah, um, it, 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 it actually is. So um, a lot of people think that um, you can use LiDAR or like FLIR or things, you, which you can, and yeah. it makes it more accurate with uh, using LiDAR and FLIR. But yeah, so Google Maps, Bing Maps, those guys, um, they literally just use photogrammetry. So they have multiple pictures from satellites. Yeah. Up in the great view, blue yonder, and they have similar programs that are able what? to stitch that together. They're using satellite imagery to do what you're doing with a drone? It's pretty much this, but on steroids, yeah. So instead oh, of t- using man. a drone, they're using satellites and using uh, <laughs> amazing data, putting things together. And yeah, so whenever you see your surreal. house on Google Earth, and of course there are some uh, AI, um, like some AIs are fixing a few errors here and there, but sure, when it yeah. comes down to it, yeah, that's the basics of how uh, a lot of these companies are doing things now. Cool stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I'm really keen to see how this brings real-world objects into Same here. Th- things like video games. Like, I, I really, really think is. with virtual reality to be able to... Well, we, we actually already see this. Um, a famous one that just came out is the new Microsoft Light Sim, right? That mm-hmm. the entire 3D world is just big maps. But it's just wow. in a 3D environment. And for years, we've always had flight sim in Google Earth where you just use your arrow keys, but that's not a flight sim. But it's, it's amazing to see where we're going with this technology. Very cool. So, yeah, very cool. cool. Uh, where can, now, uh, I understand this model is proprietary. So yeah. this is something that you shot professionally, and this is owned by the people who own the house, I yeah. presume. Yeah, so just, just for privacy and copyright reasons, I'm not going to be releasing this variant of the model. Yeah. However, I do have um, another one. I'll get to that in a second. You can look on free websites. Uh, one of them that I'm featuring personally is sketchfab.com. All right. Um, it's a 3D file sharing site. You can get free files. You can buy files on there. You can do a lot of different licensing uh, opportunities as well. But there's there's a lot of very unique projects on there. Um, I might make one of mine uh, free to download soon as well. I did a local school um, public property, you know, during the right. summer. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a great ability to have just download play around with it even if it's not my file but somebody else's file like just play around with it if you have a 3d printer if you have a 3d program just 
take things apart, stitch things, copy paste, have fun with it. That's what this technology is for. But that's cool. It's exciting. You can tell I'm excited. Sketchfab.com. There you awesome. Go. So free resources there. It's like a photogrammetry version of Thingiverse in a way. Not, not even, but like even if you're just into designing 3D files and you want to freely distribute or okay. if you want to sell them, Your you can go on stuff. there as well. Unreal. Um, cool. But not on Real Engine. What? <laughs> um, but we no. keep name dropping. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? It's hard with technology That's... now because we have so many different... Uh, Pieces of kit epic. working. Yeah, epic, <laughs> I feel the unity of the. Oh, wait, well, that's another oh, one. Oh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> well, hey, thanks, man. That is really, really cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks Comment for below. This. Hey, folks, what do you think of aerial photogrammetry? That's a new that's word cool. for me. Did I say it right? It's cool. Yes, you did. You're teaching me new words here. So yeah, hey. there you go. <laughs> Comment below. Give us a thumbs up. <laughs> All right, thanks, Henry. Uh, we're going to head over to the newsroom. Becca's standing by with our news for us this week. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. A major release of the GIMP is on its way, and you can preview it now. Work is beginning on what is thought to be the world's first major plant to store energy in the form of liquid air. Hyperloop has carried its first set of passengers. Microsoft Teams users are under active attack. And Tim Berners-Lee hopes to improve the privacy of the Internet with his new company. Stick around, the full details and this week's Crypto Corner are coming up. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. From the newsroom, I'm Becca Ferguson. A new development version of the GNU Image Manipulation Program is available for testing, and get ready, it's a game changer. GIMP 2.99.2 may be considered unstable, but it's a huge step towards the long-anticipated GIMP 3.0 release, which promises to be the most significant release of the free image editing tool to date. GIMP 3.0 will be based on the GTK3 UI toolkit, which will bring many improvements over the current GTK2 that GIMP currently uses. GIMP 3.0 and the 2.99.2 preview, for that matter, include multi-layer selection and support for applying changes to multiple layers at a time. It also promises to deliver a faster, more responsive user experience, leveraging render caching within the interface. GIMP 2.99.2 is an unstable release. That means it's intended for developers, bug hunters, and enthusiasts only, and is not recommended for production use. Some of the features on the roadmap are a work in progress, so there are bound to be many bugs throughout. That said, you can download GIMP 2.99.2 um, now if you'd like to take it for a spin. Windows users can get it on the GIMP developer download page, and Linux users can grab it through a flat pack on Flathub's beta channel. There's also a continuous build app image on the official GIMP GitHub repository. Sorry, Mac users, it's not ready for testing on macOS just yet. There isn't a firm release date for GIMP 3.0, but the devs hope to have it ready for release sometime in 2021. Work is beginning on what is thought to be the world's first major plant to store energy in the form of liquid air. It will use surplus electricity from wind farms at night to compress air so hard that it becomes a liquid at minus 196 Celsius. Then, when there is a peak in demand in a day or a month, the liquid air will be warmed so it expands. The resulting rush of air will drive a turbine to make electricity, which can be sold back to the grid. 
The system was devised by Peter Dearman, a self-taught backyard inventor from Hertfordshire, and it has been taken to commercial, to commercial scale with a £10 million grant from the UK government. Dr. Dearman said his or Mr. Dearman said his invention was 60 to 70 percent efficient depending on how it is used. That is less efficient than batteries, but he said the advantage of liquid air is the low cost of the storage tanks, so it can be easily scaled up. Also, unlike batteries, liquid air storage does not create a demand for minerals which may become increasingly scarce as the world moves towards power systems based on variable renewable electricity. Batteries are really great for short-term storage, Mr. Dearman said, but they are too expensive to do long-term energy storage. That's where liquid air comes in. Mr. Dearman had been developing a car run on similar principles with liquid hydrogen when he saw the potential for applying the technology to electricity storage. He is now a passive shareholder in Highview, one of the firms building the 50-megawatt plant. The 50-megawatt facility near Manchester will store enough energy to power around 50,000 homes for up to five hours. That is really amazing. Just to think that a few thousand years ago, we were taking buckets of water up a hill to store them and then use that water were as energy. We? we were. I remember. Oh, yeah. I know. Just back in the day, right? Just getting like <laughs> coffees and everything. No, oh, yeah. but it's, it's remarkable in the sense that we're able to use this natural thing that we breathe every day yeah. and use that to store energy. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Talking about a green energy source. What a clever idea. But uh, like how much pressure... Is oh. this thing under? <laughs> More than me whenever I had work, but still. Oh, boy. Um, no, but it's, it's a remarkable idea, and the, I really like how they really focused on the idea of green energy, because, again, yeah. unlike batteries, where you have to have all these minerals, everything else dug up, mm -hmm. you're able to use this. It's, it's just air. It's, it's and, under compression, and it's able to store energy. Yes, and thinking of batteries, not only do you have to obtain the resources, but... Mm -hmm when those are depleted, when they're no longer able to hold Exactly, the waste, everything else. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. One less thing to worry about. And it, it's just amazing, these technologies. And I'd, I'm curious to see what they think of next. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea of uh, an energy source that is able to kind of recycle itself. Yes. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. I've thought about, and I know it's not practical, and I know that it's probably not even possible, but yeah. um, putting, like, uh, in, a, you know, in a water source, something that can pump the water because it's, yeah. and, and generate electricity at the same time. There's so many neat ideas out there. there, there but this are. is something that's actually coming to pass. Well, that, this is the number one thing because with, in respect to green technology... The big, the largest thing that's been lagging behind is definitely being able to store that energy. Because again, yeah. we do have these advances in solar power, wind power, but mm -hmm. the issue is where do you store all that energy? Where do you energy? put it? Yeah. So this can definitely be one of those solutions that can help us help turn our economy, our world into a more greener place cool. down the road. So this, this is really, really cool to hear. Can't wait to see what comes of it. Yeah. Or hears of it. Or smells of it. I, I'm trying to think of air puns, but it's not working. <laughs> So, <laughs> we tried. Oof. Virgin Hyperloop has trialed its first ever journey with passengers in the desert of Nevada. The futuristic transport concept involves pods inside vacuum tubes carrying passengers at high speeds. In the trial, two passengers, both company staff, traveled the length of a 500-meter test track in 15 seconds, reaching 172 kilometers an hour. 
You may recall from our past coverage as far as 2018 that the top speed for the Hyperloop is said to be a thousand kilometers an hour. And while this is only a fraction of that ambition, it's a big step toward Hyperloop transportation becoming a reality. Virgin Hyperloop is not the only firm developing the concept, but nobody has carried passengers before. Sarah Lucian, Director of Customer Experience, was one of the two on board and described the experience as exhilarating both psychologically and physically. She and Chief Technology Officer Josh Geigel wore normal clothing rather than flight suits for the event, which took place on Sunday afternoon outside of Las Vegas. Ms. Lucian said the journey was smooth and not at all like a roller coaster, although the acceleration was zippier than it would be with a longer track. Neither of them felt sick, she added. She said that their speed was hampered by the length of the track and acceleration required. The concept, which has spent years in development, builds on a proposal by Tesla founder Elon Musk. Some critics have described it as science fiction. It is based on the world's fastest magnetic levitation trains, then made faster by placing the train inside vacuum tubes. The world record speed for a maglev train was set in 2015 when a Japanese train reached 374 miles per hour in a test run near Mount Fuji. The Hyperloop has already exceeded that speed, but never with passengers. Critics have pointed out that Hyperloop travel systems would involve the considerable undertaking of both getting planning permission and then constructing vast networks of tubes for every travel path. Ms. Lucian acknowledges the potential difficulties, saying, Of course there's a lot of infrastructure to be built, but I think we've mitigated a lot of risk that people didn't think was possible. In speaking about the infrastructure challenges, she pointed out that while governments can continue building up yesterday's transport systems, people are looking for new solutions, the transportation of the future. Microsoft Teams users are under active attack, and Tim Berners-Lee hopes to improve the privacy of the internet at large with his new company. Becca has these stories coming up, plus Robert is here with the Crypto Corner, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the world of cryptos and welcome back to the Crypto Corner. Today we're going to spend some time in Ethereum 2.0. I'm going to explain to you in a very simple way what Ethereum 2.0 is all about. And to start, we're going to look at the fees. So the fees that you pay when you do a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain. And this year is 2018. In 2018, the fees were fairly low and then suddenly a project was started called CryptoKitties Everybody complained about it because the fees went absolutely through the roof. Now that was 2018. How does that same picture look today? If I expand this year to today, then here, this is the little blip with CryptoKitties. The fees that we had to pay because of DeFi not so long ago were significantly higher. And if you consider that we are, how many people are we using the Ethereum blockchain? Let's say 100,000, 200,000. It won't be much more than that. So if 200,000 can already um, bring the blockchain uh, in regards to fees to a halt, how would that look like if we have got suddenly 20 million people using this chain? It will not be uh, feasible any longer. And that's why, um, including also some other reasons, a long time ago, 
the idea of Ethereum 2.0 was started, and it taking its, it's taking its time. And why? Because coding and programming is not simple. Yeah, If you have got a company like Apple or Google where everything is under one roof, everything is coordinated in a different way, uh, you can have a different type of transparency and, uh, and also objectives. But if you have got a team of 400 people that are coordinated through something like GitHub, yeah, so this GitHub is where everything happens in regards to Ethereum, then it looks very, it's very complex. And so everything has to be done very meticulously um, because we're talking about money here in this case. Um, money transfer. So big mistakes will cost a lot of money as we've seen in DeFi. And we've got over in the Ethereum current blockchain, we've got over 244 repositories, over 500 people uh, programming. Uh, so you can imagine how complex this whole thing is. Yeah, There are many hundred thousand lines of code that need to be coordinated. That's why this thing takes so long. Now, looking at the roadmap, um, this is the roadmap of the of ETH 2.0. So this is the current chain here. So this is ETH 1.0. That's the Ethereum you and I know. And soon we will have the beacon chain, which is the start of Ethereum 2.0. And <clears throat> this here is like the current chain without proof of work, so proof of stake, and you will not have any smart contracts in this uh, phase zero. From there, we will start with a with a, uh, smart contracts, but we'll have shards. And shards are like, just imagine it in a very simple way, like sub-blockchain. So you'll have a chain for, let's say, um, DeFi. You'll have a chain that's uh, that needs to be secured in a special way. Then you've got a, a chain for uh, gamers. So when something happens, like uh, with CryptoKitties, where suddenly the chain was blocked, it will be only that chain that will be blocked at that time and the fees will not go through the roof. So there are lots of little improvements coming also along uh, with this ETH uh, 2.0. And the roadmap in detail, just the one, so we're here today, and we will start soon uh, phase zero. Uh, phase zero means um, moving away from proof of work to proof of stake. And that's done by having a deposit contract because you need to secure the network, not through miners, so people, that are mining, you need to secure it through value. And um, that, for that, the deposit contract was now uh, created. And the time is running now until the 7th of December, where then the beacon chain will be started. From there, we will then go over to phase zero and then much later phase two and phase three. And at this stage here, there will be also no more proof of work. So the current blockchain that you know ETH.0 will be more or less switched off. That's not possible, I know, but it, it will not continue. Everything will happen in the new uh, Ethereum 2.0. And um, for the tr transition from the current status to the ETH.0, uh, they created a very good website, launchpad.ethereum.org, where when you want to become a validator, <laughs> you can get started here and they'll run you through some questions and so on, and they explain to you what that really means, um, you will get some money. So for everything that you uh, stake, uh, so in other words, you put up at security, you'll get some uh, money as, as a reward. At the beginning, it will be, of course, higher because we're starting, but and over the time, it will go down. And uh, here, this is the status of how far people have committed already to this uh, new uh, chain where at 10%, 
I guess that around the 1st of December, this thing should be filled more or less because all the big whales will be coming in um, into uh, staking because get, the rewards are not bad at the beginning. So this is um, Ethereum 1.0 explained, uh, 2.0, sorry, explained in a very simple way. And I hope you liked it and I hope you enjoyed it. And I thank you very much for watching. And I'm looking forward to see you next week again. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Robert. Just a reminder that we're not providing financial advice, but only sharing what's happening in the cryptocurrency market. Always remember that the cryptocurrency market is always changing and always volatile. So only invest what you can afford to lose. And now here's Becca. Thank you, Robbie. Microsoft Teams users are under active attack in a fake updates malware campaign. Attackers are using ads for fake Microsoft Teams updates to deploy backdoors, which use Cobalt Strike to infect companies' networks with malware. Microsoft is warning the customers about the so-called fake updates campaigns in a non-public security advisory revealed by Bleeping Computer. The campaign is targeting various types of companies with recent targets in the K-12 education sector, where organizations are currently dependent on using apps like Teams, for video conferencing due to COVID-19 restrictions. Cobalt Strike is a commodity attack simulation tool that's used by attackers to spread malware, particularly ransomware. Recently, threat actors were seen using Cobalt Strike in attacks exploiting Zero Logon, a privilege elevation flaw that allows attackers to access a domain controller and completely compromise all Active Directory identity services. In the advisory, Microsoft said it's seen attackers in the latest fake updates campaign using search engine ads to push top results for team software to a domain controlled by the attackers and used for nefarious activity. If victims click on the link, it downloads a payload that executes a PowerShell script which loads malicious content. Cobalt Strike Beacons are among the payloads also being distributed by the campaign, which give threat actors the capability to move laterally across a network beyond the initial system of infection. The link also installs a valid copy of Microsoft Teams on the system to appear legitimate and avoid alerting victims to the, to the attack. Malware being distributed by the campaign include Predator the Thief, InfoStealer, which pilfers sensitive data such as credentials, browser, and payment data. Microsoft also has seen a backdoor and Zloader stealer being distributed by the latest campaigns. Microsoft is recommending that people use web browsers that can filter and block malicious websites and ensure that local admin passwords are strong and can't easily be guessed. Admin privileges also should be limited to essential users and avoid domain-wide service, domain service accounts that have the same permissions as an administrator, according to the report. They advise organizations to limit their attack surface to keep attackers at bay by blocking executable files that do not meet specific criteria or blocking JavaScript and VBScript code from downloading executable content. Well, Microsoft Teams, it takes a team to be hacked. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's... You can get independently hacked very easily. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's, it's a scary thing, really, because with it being seen so much, not just organizations, but if you're an educator, if you're a teacher, yeah. student, etc., um, and it, isn't uh, well, think You're talking about teachers and stuff. I'm thinking about how these folks have been thrown into having to use Microsoft Teams. With no experience. This is something totally new. And then all of a sudden you get a little little window that says, hey, you need to update. It's okay. This right. is safe. 
And you think, oh, well, this, this is what I'm using for my classroom, so I better get yeah. that update. So oh, no. It's like... Children, make sure you install this update. Well, like, like oh, we we're, no. were just talking before the show, it really is a form of social engineering. Right? Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's so easy to fall into the trap. This is where phishing scams have, like, we think, oh, well, I would never fall for a phishing scam because, you know, I don't use that service or this service or whatever. But it's a, it's a like, a, if I throw enough phishing scams out there that pretend to be the Royal Bank of Canada, yeah. I will inevitably land in the inbox of some people who yes. bank at the Royal Bank of Canada. So if I buy ads that are pretending to be updates for Microsoft Teams, even though I personally, Robbie Ferguson, don't use Teams. Somebody out there. You might. Yep, somebody else yeah. might. And, and social engineering, they, they trick those folks into installing this malware. And we're talking ransomware. Mm -hmm. So ransomware is the one that encrypts your files and goes out on the network that you're connected to and mm -hmm. encrypts all the files that it can gain access to. And as yep. we know from zero logon, that is every file on the entire network. If you're like, like a school network, you think, oh, well, we're locked down. It's safe. <laughs> uh. No. Zero login, uh, zero logon allows them to have administrator credentials just, just, like, your, just like your IT admin. So like, these are serious exploits. Mm -hmm. And social engineering, they're using that to get into these systems that could be a backdoor into the network. Well, exactly. Like, I, I'm also scared for small businesses, right? Yeah. So again, Everyone's working from home now. So yep. again, if you have employees who aren't as tech literate or But Henry, <laughs> who would target me? I'm just a <laughs> I'm just a work from home, you know, person who no nobody would Self. ever target me. See, yeah, false sense of security, right? Yeah, so. we become complacent absolutely, yeah. but the fact is is that these are non-targeted attacks. Mm -hmm. These tools are built to find susceptible systems yep. and attack them. Yeah, just a wide net. That's all it takes. Mm -hmm. Like you said, one email, spam it out. Yeah, so maybe a pie hole, which is an ad-blocking DNS mm, server, no. suddenly becomes not just something to block your advertising, but also something to, like your ad blocker becomes something that's going to prevent malware. Yeah. They bought ads on Google. I mean, like... Come on. I've seen it happen on Facebook. I've been on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, I know. And a Javis, uh, I think it was a flash virus at the time, tried to install through an ad. Well, they have like a $100 free like ad credit thing if you sign yeah. up for Google Ads now. So they got right. a real good deal. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's <laughs> not sponsored. So be really careful what yeah. you click on, folks. Be very, very careful. And almost mm -hmm. to the point of skeptical. All right. It, it really does show how the world is developing away from ads though like i know this is going to be kind yeah. of a little bit off topic now but it's just ad ads being so intrusive hence why you have other platforms like patreon and stuff that you can support sure, channels yeah. and things like that right because whenever i'm on youtube i'm like yeah i have an ad blocker i i but, rely on ad revenue in order to survive as a as a broadcaster on youtube exactly but it's just like it's a balance now right because it's like uh -huh. is this ad gonna try to sell me or Trying to infect my Try to trick now. you into getting an infection of ransomware. Yeah, so yeah. it's just like I want to support small businesses and channels and stuff, but how do I balance that with safety now? Yeah. It's, it's such a hard thing to talk it's about. It's a very good question. I don't know that there's an answer immediately sitting there ready to be given. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really just down to be very cautious, be skeptical when you're clicking on stuff online, mm -hmm. and know that even in somewhere like Google, maybe the yeah. ads contain malware. So watch out and be careful. 
Inventor of the World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee is having another crack at fixing the Internet's biggest problems with the launch of a new enterprise server. The Inrup Enterprise Solid Server is the first product from a company the inventor started two years ago in response to the problem of personal data online, where tech giants like Facebook and Google build vast databases on users' profiles and sell them to advertisers to make massive profits. Inrup has worked on a series of new standards that allow individuals to store their personal information in pods whose access they control. The decentralized approach allows for the free and fast sharing of data, but with control in the hands of its owners. The project is called Solid, and after two years of work at MIT, the team behind it has released an enterprise service, the goal being to move the whole idea from concept to reality. The enterprise server will allow organizations to build applications using others' data pods that can do useful things like draw comparisons across users or build greater context around user data while keeping the user in control of their data. For many businesses, it will be a chicken and egg conundrum where it won't be worth investing in the solid system until there is sufficient data and users of the system. And users won't bother providing their data until there are sufficient companies and applications. With new regulations like GDPR and California's privacy law, a system like Solid would make it significantly easier, easier for companies to gather and use data without having the weight of administering it at all and being responsible for constantly updated permissions. In a blog post Monday, Berners-Lee announced a number of big-name partners that will run pilots, including the BBC, NatWest Bank, the National Health Service, and Flanders Government. The pilots are small and the intent is to spark greater awareness of the technology and grow adoption. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And if you appreciate what we do, become a patron at patreon.com slash category5. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Becca Ferguson. Welcome back from our commercial break. And today was an excellent show. Thank you so much, Robbie. Thank you so, so much, much everyone, for having me back. Henry, it was great having like that feature. It was so cool to see you in the field. Like these days, it's we can't send a roaming reporter out to do stuff. And yeah, it's it's, it's, it's great tough. to see an actual person again. Thank you for seeing me, yeah, even if we're socially distanced. Yeah. It's great to be out of the basement. But no, it was really fun. Hopefully, some of you out there can play around with those models and play around with the programs that we've used tonight. Yeah, but, for sure. But no, thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. I've been having a lot of fun with the 3D printer, and that was a great oh, opportunity gosh, for me yes. to do something fun. Uh, don't forget our series at cat5.tv slash 3D printing. Uh, so your video will be there, yes. and uh, all the videos of anything that we do on the 3D printer are going to be there as well. Mm -hmm. There's going to be It's going to become a really great repository of information. Yeah, just, just a knowledge base of yeah. just everything. I admit that I'm a new 3D printer. Like, I'm new to this. You know what? We all need to do hobby during uh, these days, you know? I, so I why agree. not get into yeah. it now? So let's learn together. Let's enjoy the process and, uh, and follow along, and I'll, I'll be taking you along for the ride.
I want to say thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. You can follow us and become part of our fleet at patreon.com slash category five. We greatly appreciate your support. It's how we're able to do the show that we do, and we couldn't do it without you. Um, and thank you, everybody, for subscribing on YouTube and for being a part of our community. We've got our Discord server where you can yeah. chat with other people in the community. We've got a ton of ways to interact. And make sure you go over to our website and you'll be able to follow along, figure out uh, all the different ways to interact with us at Category5.tv. Oh, and I should mention, there's 14 years worth of video. What? I can binge watch all 14 years? Yeah, you probably could. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, enjoy that. Especially season one. It was dreadful. Uh, hey, you take care. Have a wonderful week. Henry, see you guys. great seeing you, man. Air high five. Bye-bye.